I hope you, if you are new tonight that you got a t-shirt. We give out some firehouse t-shirts for you and kind of like a little welcome packet. So make sure you got that. That actually makes me think of, we used to have these t-shirt cannons that we would like shoot. Have any of you guys ever seen our our t-shirt cannons? Were you here for that? Some of you guys saw them, right? We... Justin Cowart went nuts like one year and Mr. Crawford back there and they made us like five different versions and like each time it got bigger and crazier these like t-shirt cannons and we would shoot them out all over the place and then uh Justin I guess was working with Mr. Crawford on like this massive one like this like mother of all t-shirt cannons and we were able to like eventually we were able to shoot this thing over the steeple of the church like it would go that high and land in like the school parking lot like it was wild but as they were working on it Justin is not known for his, like, patience, and so there's this glue you have to put in, like, the PVC. Can you guys put the picture of this thing up there? So it's got, like, three different, like, things. Like, it's this massive. So he's not patient, and he puts the glue on, and Mr. Crawford tells him, like, you got to let this set overnight, and he, I guess, leaves. And Justin sneaks back in because he's not patient after, like, two hours, and he's like, I'm going to fill this thing up with pressured air and see how far we can shoot this thing. And I guess when he does, this, like, whole, like, end piece blows off. And literally shoots a hole this big through a wooden door, like down the street, like in the thing. And so he got this award we have at church called the Dum Dum Award when you do really dumb things around here. So Justin has this like Dum Dum Award because that was one of the dumbest things that have happened on the campus. But uh, he, we learned an important lesson that day. We learned that glue is really, really important, right? Like when the glue doesn't work, things blow apart and fall apart. And as we're talking tonight, we're still walking through this series called Resurrecting. And we're talking about how Jesus really did rise from the dead. And as we're talking about this real resurrection, that means you and I can really rise from the dead too. There's an important glue that we can't just skip by. There's something that holds the entire argument together. And without it, it just doesn't even matter. Like we don't need to be here talking about this tonight without this really important thing, without this glue that's holding this argument together. And it's the fact That if we look at it and say, what if Jesus never did rise again? What does that do to the whole thing? What does that do to your faith? What does that do to this church? What does that do to your life? How do things hold together without the glue that is Jesus? And so this entire argument that it's worth coming here on a Wednesday or a Sunday. It's worth reading that thing that you have in front of you, the Bible, and that we call God's word. Is it actually God's word if the words in it aren't true? What's keeping that thing together in your life? If it's just a bunch of stories, if it's just some fairy tales that your parents use at night to like tuck you in and get you to change your behavior because they want you to act really, really good the next day. It really doesn't amount to much. It's honestly not very powerful. There are plenty of stories and fairy tales and nighttime that we can tell our kids. We don't need the Bible to do that. So if the centerpiece of the Bible itself isn't true and Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, then you may as well just toss it because it would essentially be worthless and so would your faith, so would this church. And so we lose a lot the second we say, that we don't have to believe that resurrection is actually real. When we become like these Sadducees, or these, uh, yeah, Sadducees that we were talking about a couple weeks ago, that Paul's going, hey, listen, you guys are like off base here. You keep saying there's no resurrection, but that's not what Jesus said. That's not even what the Old Testament teaches. 
it's funny that nowadays we sound a lot like them. There are a lot of churches that are like, man, Jesus was a good dude. The Bible has some really cool stuff for us to help our lives and motivate us. And when I'm down and sad or depressed, I hear about Jesus and it cheers me up. That's about as far as we want to go. We're like, Jesus, you're welcome to come into my life and give me hope. I need hope. I'm pretty down today. Or Jesus, like, you're welcome to come in and help me fix some relational issues I have. Because right now, like, man, this person and I just are not. And so I could use you here, so jump in. And we like to kind of nitpick, like, go around and find the areas that we're cool with Jesus coming in and touching and moving and doing stuff to. And we're like, those, those spots, go ahead, Jesus. But then there are other spots where, like, man, I'm almost embarrassed to say that I believe that someone could rise from the dead. Like, science would laugh at me. Like, my, my teachers at college or, or school would be like, you are ridiculous. How can you believe a fairy tale like that? People don't rise from the dead. You believe the miracles of the Bible? You really think that it, a sea was split in half? You really think a guy was able to take just a little bit of bread and fish in a basket and feed four or 5,000 people with it? Like, you're insane. And so sometimes we hear that and we're like, man, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pick the parts that are good for me. Jesus, don't touch the other parts. I can't say I believe those. I'm embarrassed for people to hear that I would believe miracles happen, that I believe you could actually rise from the dead, that I believe that one day I will also rise. And it's because Jesus did first. And so Paul is going to help us see how Jesus is this linchpin, the centerpiece, holding everything together, that glue that holds your entire faith together. So read with me. We're in 1 Corinthians 15 still. We're going to read verses 12 to 20 tonight. It says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead aren't raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we're of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So look at verse 12 with me, because what Paul says here, whew, we cannot miss this. If you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, if you say that you've placed your faith in him and you're trusting him for eternal life, you need to know this. Because your eternal life, it rests on this fact. So verse 12 says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection? So as he's walked through this passage, right, he's already given us some, some evidence. He's talked first about these like transformed sinners. Like, you want to know if Jesus actually rose from the dead and that's true? Check it out over here. Look at how this dude's life was changed. And he's pointing to people whose lives were dramatically changed, right? The fact that the church of God, us, 
That we went from being broken sinners who were totally lost and hopeless to having completely changed lives. And that doesn't just happen with a fairy tale. Something supernatural has to get into your heart and change your entire life from the inside out and transform you. And he's like, all we have to do to see evidence that Jesus is real and he really rose from the dead is look at these people's lives. They're completely changed. They're transformed. That's powerful. Only the resurrection of Jesus could do that. And then he points after, he says, hey, we can also look at prophecy because for thousands of years, Jesus was foretold. What he was going to do was foretold. We knew he would die and rise again. And people are acting all like, like totally shocked. Like, what a surprise. I can't believe he did that. Paul's like, but it's been in scripture forever. Like, we've had these prophecies almost from the beginning, literally in the Garden of Eden. They were told that this would happen. The very first gospel story was shared with Adam and Eve called the Proto-Evangelio, right? Like, right in the garden, the very first instance. And we're going like, what? He, what did he do? And Paul's like, listen, all these prophecies? They were fulfilled. They're just more evidence for you to look and go, if that really happened and it was said thousands of years ago it would happen, it's a pretty sure bet that this thing is real. That's exactly why God gave us prophecy. So it would confirm and affirm in our hearts that what Jesus is saying he did, as spectacular and amazing and miraculous as it is, as maybe hard to believe as it is, we can believe it. There's probably some skeptics in the room tonight. Gen Z, you guys are skeptics. Like, this, this is just how it is, right? And it's fine. As long as you're taking your skepticism and you're deconstructing all these ideas and putting them back together in a way that actually says, this really does make sense. Because it really does make sense. Paul is laying it out piece by piece for us so we can take it apart, so we can put it back together. So here's what I would say about skepticism tonight. Have an open heart to hear what God's telling you. Think about it critically. That's awesome. Even have doubts and ask questions. That's awesome. But as you do it, keep looking back to Jesus because he's going to continually give you these answers. We see transformed lives. We see fulfilled prophecy. We see tons and tons of evidence to go, this thing is real. We don't just come to a a building to sing songs. It's because Jesus is here. I hope you guys believe that tonight. This isn't just some ceremony we're doing. This isn't just something we get together to hang out and do a concert. Jesus is in the room with us tonight. A powerful risen Savior who's transformed my life and many lives in this room. And I hope you know him. Because he's given us every opportunity to know him. And then Paul says after prophecy, he says there's also witnesses. So listen, if you don't believe the prophecies and you think they're old and outdated, right? or you don't believe these people's lives really changed, guess what? You can go talk to people who saw the risen Jesus. People who saw him die. People who have seen him now walking and talking and breathing. And there's a ton of them, over 500 in one place all at one time. Go ask them, right? It's a lot of evidence. It's a lot of reasons to believe. And he says, now stop. Now that I've given you all this evidence, let's look and see what would happen to your faith if Jesus didn't actually raise from the dead because that in itself supports this whole thing. How could people's lives be changed? 
Why are churches growing and flourishing 2,000 years later all over the globe? Why does the name Jesus send people just out of their minds in both directions? People get furious when they hear the name of Jesus, some people, because they don't want to believe. And others, hopefully, we're going out of our minds in in love with Jesus as we worship him and say, he's the greatest thing that ever happened in my life. And we're going to find that all over the place. Why? Because some like absolutely like mundane dude who didn't do anything at all would not cause that type of reaction. But Jesus did. And if we look and say like, if he didn't actually raise from the dead, what would this thing look like? And that's where Paul's coming tonight. In verse 13, he says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So these dudes over here saying you can't rise from the dead. He's like, you have to also admit then that Jesus didn't. If we're not going to, and we can just live however we want right now because like we only live once, enjoy it. That also means Jesus never rose from the dead because you're saying no one rises from the dead. Well, if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, we've got some issues, right? Because Romans 10, 9, God tells us how to be saved. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Our faith hinges on the fact that we believe Jesus actually resurrected. So all these churches that are preaching some really feel-good messages, but they're afraid to claim the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it seems too miraculous and too out there, they don't have the gospel. They're missing the one thing that gives power to their message, to their faith, to their life. And Paul's saying without Jesus, Without the resurrection, then not even Jesus rose. Look at verse 14. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Literally what I'm doing right now would be an absolute waste. I should just get off the stage, throw the mic on the ground, and go do something else with my time if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. As Paul says, what I'm doing as I'm up here preaching is totally done in vain because there's no power behind it. Just a bunch of words. And listen, we got plenty of words being shared out in the world today. We don't need just more noise. That's the last thing we need. It says, if Jesus wasn't raised, then not only is your preaching just noise, but your faith is in vain. It's, that means empty. Why even believe? Why waste your time? It's not going to change your life. It's not going to transform you. It's not going to forgive your sin. It's not going to give you hope for an eternity in heaven or make you right with a God who created you. It's not going to do any of that because it's in vain. It's empty. Because Jesus didn't actually raise from the dead. You see what it does to our entire belief system? It can't survive without the fact that Jesus really did rise from the dead. It's funny because there's a, there's a chapter in the Bible, Hebrews 11, that we could walk through. It's called, basically, we call it the hall of faith. It's like you can walk down this chapter like it's a hall and just hear stories of unbelievable faith of people who believed and did incredible things because of that faith in God. Hebrews 11, it tells us that people like Abel, Abel, who actually chose God, right, was just a fool. 
if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Enoch was a myth that Noah wasted 120 years working on a boat, you know, for no reason. That Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were forefathers of basically just a lie. Joseph was thrown into a pit for nothing and suffered for no reason. Moses, he left a life of royalty in Egypt over a lie. How about David, that he wasted his kingdom serving God when he could have just been enjoying his wealth and all the things and the power and the luxury that he had for his own desires. Man, the entire list, it, it just makes up this, this passage of faith that would be absolutely empty and pointless. I mean, these people, it tells us, endured beatings. They were imprisoned. They got sawn in half. That's with a saw, right? In half. They were starved, thirsty, tortured. They wandered around in deserts. They were thrown into dens of lions and fiery furnaces. And it was all just for a lie? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, all of that stuff was just wasted. Thousands of years of people's faith and sacrifice because they believed something powerful and true that they not only experienced, but they saw with their own eyes. We're saying today, if we say Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that they're all wrong and it was a complete and total waste. So we may as well rip Hebrews 11, rip that page right out of your Bible and just throw it away. Look at verse 15, what Paul says to us. He says, we're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he didn't raise if it's true that the dead aren't raised. If the dead aren't raised, then even Christ has not been raised. So they took this very seriously. Jewish people of this time did not want to misrepresent God at all costs. It was this major thing. And they would try at all costs to honor God, to speak correctly, to speak his words, and not ever misrepresent him. This was a huge deal because the holiness of God, his perfection and, and holiness was so serious to them that you, would, you could literally be stoned to death for misrepresenting God just with your words. That's how big of a deal it was to them to preserve that. And so when Paul uses those words right now, we've been found to misrepresent God, people's ears would have perked up immediately and been like, whoa, hold on. Like, watch what you're saying. Not to mention, this was a dude who went around and actually stoned people for misrepresenting God because they said they believed in Jesus. Like his job initially was to go around and find people doing that very thing, misrepresenting God and saying they believe in Jesus, throw him in a pit, lock him in a prison. That's what Paul did. And now out of his own mouth, he's saying, listen, we're guilty of misrepresenting God. And the, the crowd just hushes. It had to be absolutely silent at that point. Because people did not want to be accused, especially by Paul of having done that. But the truth was that all of these men who lined up as martyrs, people who were willing to die over their faith in Jesus Christ, were basically just saying these men and God himself, they're liars. They're no better than con men if they say Jesus rose from the dead. 
Men who were literally willing to give their lives to be tortured and beaten and endure all of that. You don't do that for a lie. At some point, you're like, this just isn't worth it. I'm not really getting that much out of it. I'm out, you know? Not these dudes. These dudes stuck into the end and faced death and worse, torture and beatings. Unbelievable. Because they really, really, truly believed the power of Jesus' resurrection. And Paul's saying, we're calling all of them and God liars. We're saying that even our own preaching has been a lie if we say that. Because we've been going around telling people Jesus rose from the dead. That's why we preach. Then he says in verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sin. That means all of us tonight who believe like, hey man, I have been saved. I'm on my way to heaven. I'm gonna be with God forever. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, that security and hope that you have should be stripped out of your heart. Because it just isn't true if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. If he didn't, you're not forgiven. You're still living in sin. You're not transformed or changed. There's nothing new about you. You're the same old person that you were believing a fairy tale tonight. Man. How can we say that we can still have faith and be a part of a church that doesn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Paul's saying it's impossible. You could strip everything else away, but the one thing you can't strip away is the fact that Jesus really rose from the dead, and I've placed all of my trust and faith in that one thing. Or else it's all a lie. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Your sins are only forgiven. Your eternal life only comes through Jesus. Not by being a really good person. Not by any other means except Jesus Christ died because he was perfect. He was God and he was big enough, perfect enough to pay for our sin. And when Jesus died on that cross and gave his life for us, it forgave us. He went before God and said, I'm paying the penalty Rob Jones deserves for all of his sin and rebellion and everything he's done to disobey you, God. I am paying for it. That's what his, his death did. And then his resurrection does something amazing. Doesn't just leave me forgiven but stranded. It now gives me brand new eternal life kills the sin in me in his death. But he raises that dead man back to life when he raises to life himself and says, Rob, because I live again, because nothing can hold me back, not death and not sin, I'm taking you with me. I'm raising you back to life as well, and I'm changing you and transforming you because of what Jesus has done. But without that, there's no forgiveness or salvation. There's only punishment and hell awaiting all of us because there is no way out. We have offended an infinite God. The penalty is infinite and none of us have the ability to hold infinity in our hand and offer it to God. There's no way we could pay. We're stranded. Without Jesus, there's no solution to that. 
If he didn't rise from the dead, if I can't believe that and place my trust in that, then there is no solution for me except to stand before God and take the punishment that I deserve, which, by the way, I can't take. It's too much. Verse 18, Paul says, Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And so he shifts our minds from ourselves over to the people that have already passed, the loved ones. Those are the stories we've heard of faithful people who have lived for Jesus and they've passed away. He said, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, those people, they're not with God. That, that's just a story we tell ourselves at funerals to feel better because it hurts as we stand at the graveside crying and we need something to console ourselves. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, those people perished. If he didn't rise from the dead, everyone dies and goes to hell. And they will be there forever. In verse 19, he says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. He said, man, if there's no hope for me and no solution, and there's no hope or solution for those who have already died, he said, if the only hope we have in Christ is just this life to make me feel better and to motivate me and to get me out of depression, if that's literally all Jesus does for us, we should be pitied above every other person on this planet. Christians, people should feel bad for us because that is a waste of a life. It's hopeless. And it's literally going to do nothing for you. So all the sacrifice Christians make for their God to serve him and to do these things for him and to lay their lives down and to avoid all these earthly pleasures that we call sin, right? If we just do all of that and get to the end and Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, we should be pitied above everyone else because we just wasted everything in the world's eyes. we get to the end and Jesus really did rise from the dead, it is all worth it. It is the only thing that's worth it. And I wonder if you and I who say we believe, we trust Jesus really rose from the dead, if we're actually living in a way where at the end, people would say, man, I pity you. Or if they would look at our lives and say, you lived just like me. What's the difference between what you did? You didn't live for your God. You didn't sacrifice for your Savior. You didn't serve him. You laid nothing down at his feet as an offering at his altar. You've done nothing. You look just like me. I wonder how many believers, I'm putting that in quotes, people who say they believe and actually don't live at all, like they trust that Jesus really rose from the dead. I wonder if some of us need to actually step up and act like we believe. Maybe some of us need to stop saying it and really do it. And when I say do it, I'm not saying go change your behavior. 
I'm saying let your heart be changed. I'm saying take your heart and hand it over to Jesus and say, here, look, you get all of it. Stink. I can't do this. I can't live like you. I'm trying, like, but I trust you with it. Break it, mold it, shape it, do whatever you want with it. Show me what to do. Help me do it. Take my hand and pick me up every time I fall and try. Like, I know I'm not perfect, Jesus. But maybe tonight some of us need to take our heart and say, do something with this because I can't. Make me like you. Let me get to the end and let the world look and say, if Jesus didn't rise again, I pity you so much because you've wasted so much, but you can say none of it was a waste. It was my greatest privilege to take those as trophies and lay them down at the feet of my Savior who died for me in the end. Is that how you're living? Or are you just playing the Christian game? Or you keep using the excuse, I'm just a teenager. The world expects nothing of me. I'm supposed to be immature. I'm supposed to live just and have fun. It's not what Jesus says to you. That's what Satan says to you. He wants you to think you're worthless, but he's constantly taking teenagers in the Bible and doing unbelievable things. Slaying giants. Or you can choose to do nothing. You could choose to listen to the world and Satan's lies and just. Or you can look at Jesus and say, it's all yours. Do unbelievable things I'm not capable of. I want to watch you do it. And finally, in verse 20, he says, but in fact, (laughs) this is like that one, you know, early in the morning, if you've ever seen a sunrise. And that first ray that kind of pops over the like horizon and it's this like really cool like almost blinding like little poof. that's what this feels like to me when he says these first words because all of this seems so dark and so hopeless right there's no resurrection and then verse 20 happens and light pops into the story but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead He's like, it's so good that we don't have to actually worry about any of this stuff because Jesus really did raise from the dead. It actually happened. And he says, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That might sound like some weird Bible churchy words, but first fruits means Jesus went first so that you and I can follow him. That's unbelievable news. He didn't just go like, peace out. I did my thing. I'm gone. Good luck with that down there. He's leading the way. So you and I can follow him into salvation. If you give him your heart, you trust in him and you believe and ask him to forgive your sin. I wonder how many of us tonight have never done that. You've never given your heart to Jesus. You've never asked God to forgive your sin. You've never trusted him and his salvation on a cross, his resurrection to give you new life. But he says he's done it. And now you can too if you believe. If you place your trust in him. Acts 5, 30 and 31 show us a really cool picture of this first fruits thing of what Jesus has done. It says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader 
and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. That word leader is an awesome word because that word leader is actually from, it's, it's this Greek word that's from this boating term. And, and ships would use this, this term, it was archegos, to refer to a swimmer who was the strongest swimmer on the ship. This leader, this lead swimmer, it was his job that as they were passing a harbor, if there was a storm, it was almost impossible to get the boat into the, sh- the shore. And so they would send out this lead swimmer, this archegos, who would take a rope with him and he would swim to a point where he could get to a pier and tie off that rope. And then all of the other men would use that rope as a way to get to shore and not get sucked away into the sea. Like this dude was insane. Like he had to be like a Navy SEAL. Like he was literally the best swimmer and fearless and everything else because a lot rode on this guy. If he didn't make it, they were probably all going to die in a storm in that boat. He was the lifeline, literally. And that is the word that's being used to describe Jesus in this passage. Archegos. He's the lead swimmer, and we are in a storm. We are facing death, and we will surely die. But Jesus made it to the shore. Jesus tied the rope off. And now it's in your hand. The only reason you're not making it to shore and to salvation and to forgiveness from God is because tonight you're choosing not to. When Jesus has already put the lifeline out and said, come to me, just come to me. I will give you forgiveness. I will save you. And I will give you eternal life if you come to me. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me tonight? As the band comes back up, I would ask you to do this during this next song. Would you just consider how you're living tonight? Maybe for some of you, that means you've never actually received Jesus as your archegos. You've never actually placed your faith in him and trusted. Hey, others, you're, you're a believer, but you are not living like as if in the end people would say, man, you should be pitied because you look just like the world. Would you just ask God to show you who you are tonight? Say, God, just open, like peel back the layers of my heart and show me what parts of me I need to lay at your feet tonight.